Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. Hey, um, got some news for you about the, the, the podcast you are listening to, a way that you can maybe get involved to help make us. Now, first of all, don't panic. We're not going to hit you up for a Patreon or give us free money, all that kind of stuff. But what I will ask you to do, if you haven't done so already, is head to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z, like the page. Because in the next few days as to when we were recording this podcast, we're going to have an opportunity for you to help us make the podcast. I don't want to say too much just yet, but it would be really good for you to like the Facebook page so when we do do it, you will see straight away how you can help. Now, there's going to be one of two ways. One is to get involved directly with what we're doing. The second thing is going to be to help us spread the spread the news about what we're doing. And, and both ways are equally as valid and equally as helpful. So the Facebook uh, page is facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z um, or just go to Facebook and search D-O-C-N-Z. We pop up at the top of the, the list. And uh, yeah, we've been doing this for more than two years now, approaching 150 episodes, and um, we're looking to expand and grow, and thank you for being on board and listening, and we hope you can help us do that as well. DOCNZ on Facebook is the easiest way to do it, or else you can head to our own page, www.thedoc.nz. Hey, um, a friend of the show, Jack Tame, he's been on with us a couple of times before, actually, once in person here in Dunedin. Uh, once during lockdown, we caught up with Jack in his apartment in Auckland, and we were I was in my bedroom, I think, from memory, in Dunedin. But Jack has just got back from the US, where he was over there broadcasting for the American election. Um, basically, I'm a bit jealous of Jack's life, to be honest with you. He does what I think is the best uh, kind of political talk show on uh, television, uh, which is Q&A, which I'm jealous of. And he gets to go to America and check out the election, which I'm also jealous of. So basically, this is me being jealous of Jack Tame. A little short podcast for you today, because as we speak to Jack, he is in uh, managed isolation, and he had to go off and get his COVID test for the day. So uh, 35 minutes or so talking to Jack Tame about his experiences in the US for the US election. I think we're about to go live. Okay. As is always, we never really know it's going to kick in with Jack Tame. Jack, hello, sir. We are live with Jack Tame in managed isolation in Hamilton. Am I correct in saying Hamilton? Yes. Why? Hey, kitty, kitty, yeah, I'm in Hamilton. By, um, by choice? choice oh, okay. It's not by choice. Nah. That's where you're stuck. But you know what, though? I, when I landed, um, everyone was moaning. Not everyone was moaning. That's not true. But they, the cop comes on the plane, right, when you land and takes over the little um, speaker from the from the air hostesses and um and he comes on and goes hi everyone i'm you know sergeant so-and-so from the Auckland police i'm here representing the new zealand government i'll be helping you through to the managed isolation process uh you'll be getting off this plane and getting on a bus to hamilton and you could sort of feel everyone was like Ugh. but the <laughs> truth is um but mainly because mainly because we had to go on a bus you know like when you've been on a plane for 13 hours you don't want to get on a bus but we got here and there are definitely fancy hotels in the world it's not it's not five star, but um, it's honestly been great. It's been it's been totally fine, and the, I think the hotel that I'm in has one of the biggest exercise areas. Right. So you know, like there are some places where you can only you know walk about fifteen or twenty meters before you have to turn around, and here you can walk for a, a loop of about two hundred meters, which is actually not nothing. Um, 
So, you know, when, when we arrived here, the, the army guys who are running this place were like, hey, um, you know, we know you've tied, you've been on a plane, you've been on a bus, but actually you've, you've done pretty well. You've lucked in here because um, you're going to be able to walk a whole lot more than a lot of other people. Geez, when you hear things like that, I mean, I hope Laura Ingham's not picking up on this podcast. I'm sure she's not. She's a frequent uh, viewer, but I'm sure she'll miss this one. <laughs> when you hear about the fucking police getting onto the um, the plane and the army looking after you at the thing, you kind of go, gosh, you can see how someone might get the wrong end of the stick if they didn't get the full context of, of what this thing is. Yeah, although like it's embarrassing, though, how far everyone seems to go out of their way to make you feel incredibly welcome. Like people were uh, comically nice throughout this process. <laughs> They've been comically nice throughout this entire process. So I really just feel no, like I'm, I'm not going to moan about anything because um, people have just gone out of their way to be nice. And, and like all the army guys, they're, they're, you know, they're actually, you can see why they're a good option running these things because they're all about systems, right? Yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. about organization. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big logistical exercise. So our hotel, for example, is separated into five different wings. And those wings aren't supposed to cross over. So every day or every night at dinner, I get a little piece of paper that says tomorrow your wings outside time is eight until nine and then three until four. Um, and then someone else in a different wing would have different times. And then those times change every day. And then it says, oh, these are the times that you've got to go and see the nurse to you know, have your temperature taken and, and ask if you've got any symptoms, those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, and then you've got, you know, in this hotel food for 160 people um you know some with dietary requirements and all that sort of thing so you can see why having the army which are very like you know yeah, 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 yeah. like structure system organizational processes is actually quite a it's quite a sensible decision and they're, they're all lovely yeah everyone's super nice and joking around and stuff so it's, it's all good and I'm assuming they have those kind of those five wings. It's a bit funnily enough, a bit like how during COVID, TVNZ had the two teams. Means if there's a, an infection that comes up in one of those areas, if it was to break through, it's only going to go through one fifth of the people, no further, because there's yeah. never, never the crossover. That's the idea, yeah. and you can you can. I mean, it's just a way of. I mean, you still got to socially distance. So, like, no one in my, I don't, you know, come within a few meters of anyone from my wing. But the idea is that you still. I think it just makes it easier for managing people throughout the day as well. So you've kind of got big bubbles, but you also can just, you know, it's easier. To, so you don't have everyone turning up, you know, lining up to see the nurse at the same time or lining up to go for a walk at the same time. You can kind of stagger it throughout the day. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, you, I look at the logistics involved just with running this place. And then I think, oh, shit, we've got 32 of these wow, yeah. around the country. It's a big, it's a big you know, it's a big effort. And I've been like critical of, of the government for a few stuff ups, you know, like not testing frontline workers, which I still think is totally unacceptable. Um, but, you know, and, and I think they've hopefully sorted that sort of stuff out. But um, I can still see that it is a big logistical exercise to get this sort of stuff up and running. With the stuff you've got to do each day, like the temperature, nurse, food, exercise, mm -hmm. does it also mean you feel like, it's not like you're just sitting in your room doing nothing. Is there enough going on within the yeah. facility that you have to do that you've kind of got enough of a timetable that you're not too bored? This is it. You've actually got appointments. Eh? Yeah. So you've so uh, like I never go more than a few hours without having something on. It's never like oh I've got to do ten hours in my except for overnight and ten hours in my room. You know, like I I always so you actually have you can go for if you want to go for like vigorous exercise, go for a run or something. You can do that before eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and they and that's 
you don't, and they just restrict the number of people out there, so you don't need to do that with your wing. But then if you do that, then you know you've got breakfast at eight o'clock, and then you've probably got to walk sometime between nine o'clock and midday or eight o'clock and midday, and then you've got lunch, and then you've probably got another walk or a visit to the nurse sometime that afternoon before dinner. So you've always got little things every couple of hours. It's actually quite a, it's actually quite clever, eh? The way they kind of you know, like your schedule comes in, your piece of paper comes in every night, and you know, it says blah blah blah. It's, it's um it's quite a good way of doing things. Sounds like you're uh, preparing yourself for a retirement village. I'm just thinking about that. Sounds exactly, <laughs> exactly like like a 75 year old would do in a retirement complex. Often see the nurse and have their walking time, and so you'll be good to go, Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get my pureed food. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. Hey, um, tell me about the process to get into the US. Obviously, you're just back from the election. That's why you're in managed isolation. Actually, entering the US. Did you have any stand down there, or is it because that's the worst place in the world? They just say, "Oh, you might as well come in." We're more dangerous to you. I mean, there's nothing that New Zealand has that America doesn't have. <laughs> okay. So if, you, if you've got a, if you've got 150,000 cases a day, who cares? Like, <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, there there are restrictions in different states. And right. This is probably you know like this is probably part of the reason that America has had as many COVID infections as it's had because yeah, it, like states all have completely different rules. So. For example, fly, I, I went into Washington, D.C., and because we were media, we were considered an essential service, and so we were allowed to travel around. But other people who lived in D.C. or Maryland or Virginia are supposed to be restricted from traveling to different states. Or if they go to different states, they're supposed to then self-isolate for two weeks. But, of course, you know, do, do people do that? I don't know. Um, but I, I, on one occasion, I did go from... So two of the so Washington DC and New York have similar case levels. So you're allowed so anyone's allowed to travel between those two cities at the moment. Right. And I was in New York very briefly and when I got to New York there were police officers checking people's tickets to see where they'd come from. Wow. And so I guess theoretically those police officers could have been like, Oh no, you're from elsewhere, you know, you're from wherever, North Carolina, some other state, um, that didn't have the same arrangement and they could have said, Get out of here or, or whatever. But um, no, nah, it was it's like to go to America. I went to the airport. Nothing's open at the airport. I got on a plane. I flew to America. That was it. And but we and you've been obviously U.S. correspondent, and you've done elections before in America. What was the vibe for you? What did it feel like being in America, where there is at the moment fifteen hundred people dying a day, and like you say, hundred fifty thousand cases a day at the moment. Like, um, not so much the political vibe, but just living and being in America from someone who was, you know, a, a, a part resident there fairly yeah, recently. Yeah. What did it feel like? I mean, the thing that surprised me is that just the range of responses that COVID seems to be eliciting in Americans. So, for example, I like I was in contact with one person who literally refused to leave their house. Right. Like, no, I just will not go out. I'm immune compromised, whatever. I just, there's absolutely no way I'm going to leave my house. And that was in DC, which again has, compared to some other places in the US, relatively low, you know, case numbers. Um, but then, you know, I, I like I went to West Virginia and, you know, I, I maybe saw one person wearing a mask when I was in West Virginia. And, you know, I went to a local shop and I was wearing a mask and I said, oh, you know, you guys obviously not too worried about COVID. And they said, oh, yeah, well, you know, what will be will be. And I said, do you know anyone who's been affected? 
I asked this guy if he knew anyone who'd been affected. And he said, oh, yeah, I've had a couple of friends die from the virus. Wow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, one's, no one's wearing a mask. Like, okay, whatever, you know. And then, uh, you know, like up in, in New York, for example, um, almost everyone's wearing a mask outside all the time. And, and perhaps that's because... Um, but, you know, because the city was so, had such a high infection rate earlier this year that they've kind of been shocked into it. But, yeah, my experience was that um, was that people just had vastly different approaches to it all. And, you know, like even flying there, you know, we were flying and there were people literally wearing boiler suits. Like you see the forensic investigators after a grisly murder. Yeah. yeah. They were wearing those wow. with like full face masks and everything. But then there were other people who weren't even wearing masks. Um yeah, so it was it was it was quite bizarre, but we were we were quite paranoid, my cameraman and I, for for a, for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, we just didn't want COVID because you don't want COVID. Uh, second of all, we knew you know like if we had contracted it early in the trip and had to stand down for a long period in a hotel, that would be like a massive waste of resource and money and that sort of thing. Um, and so we were, you know, we kind of had systems developed from the word go. And we'd done this massive health and safety plan. You can imagine what it was like to even get the sign off from work. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, 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 and you know, but we, we did like, we were just, you know, we just hand sanitized all the time. We had hand sanitizer in the car, hand sanitizer, wipes everywhere. Every time we'd go and interview someone, we'd get back to the car, start from zero, wipe everything down with hands, you know, all that sort of stuff. But you can still see, for all of that, you could still see how there were chinks in the armor. I don't think human beings are wired to be 100% alert to that kind of unseeable risk 24-7. And, um, you know, so even even with all of the protections we were taking, and we had N95 masks up the wazoo and all that sort of thing, you could still see uh, just a little mistake and, you know, and you stuff up. Well, like, I mean, if you are putting the N95 mask up your wazoo, that could be one of the mistakes. <laughs> Jack, just in case, maybe next time. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just reading the instructions. <laughs> hey, um, was there ever a thought of not going? Like, like the meeting at TVNZ is going like, fuck, are we going to go? And if we're going to go, who's going to go? How did that pan out? I mean, so I just had, I put together a pitch from quite early on, and, and, and our correspondent over there, our US correspondent, Anna Burns-Francis, had been there for a couple of months. And so I don't want to say she was a guinea pig, but she was, I guess, kind of a, a guinea pig in a sense. But I mean, we had to. TVNZ was very supportive of me going, actually, right. for for a couple of reasons. You know, like I, I had a story plan put together, and um, and I had, I was hoping to get this interview with Chris Liddell, uh, the Kiwi in the White House, um, that I'd, I'd been talking to him for a long time, and he'd said to me, "If this is going to happen, it's going to happen in the days after the election in DC." And so, I, I you know, I was really, I, I. Look, journos want to be in the middle of things, right? And I love the feeling of being in the biggest story in the world. And, I, you know, I love the feeling of being in a place and in a moment where the whole world's attention is focused. And so I just desperately wanted to go. And, and to be honest, from, from TVNZ's perspective, I mean, I'm, if you're going to have a second person over there, a second reporter as well as the correspondent who, who's based there, mm -hmm. if, you know, I'm the sort of person that would make sense. I've got experience there. Got lots of experience working overseas. You know, I lived in the US for years. I got lots of contacts. I know how the place works. You know, all that stuff. But also, you know, I don't have a family, <laughs> so I'm not. 
you know, so taking taking yeah. five weeks uh, out. You're not saying you're, you're not trying to say like so you're expendable, AJ. Eh? Can like so I'm expendable. No, I'm not trying to say I'm expendable, <laughs> but you know, you know, I um, so yeah, I, I mean, I just I I was really keen, and to be honest, they were pretty supportive from the word go. So um, also, I would I would also imagine younger as well. I mean, you know, like if you look at the stats around COVID, if one was to get it, you'd rather a thirty-something get it than a sixty-something. Yeah, I don't know if there was a ninety-four-year-old a, a with comorbidities, <laughs> if TVNZ would be rushing to put them on the first plane yeah. to the to the US. So I'm sure that was a factor. But um, uh, you know, compared to other trips, the health and safety plan was pretty exhaustive. Um, and 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 I should say it wasn't just COVID. You know, like we, so they they sign up to the kind of international alert systems and stuff, and and there was there was a lot of concern going into the election, as you'll remember, just about civil violence and, and riots and and how you know what might happen after the election if if militia would move, you know, all those sorts of things were were kind of unknowns and were perceived as being legitimate risks. So there was a lot to kind of weigh up. Um, remind me. Uh, I knew because my brain is mush because it's 2020 and that all our brains are. Because I watched TVNZ um, on that day. That, that was the, the I was watching TVNZ and I was watching um, CNN mostly. Mm. Where were you? Which, which camp were you in? I was in Biden's camp. And tell, tell me about the and night. It, tell me about got, the election night. I mean, it wasn't, it was pretty underwhelming, to be honest. I think for everyone. Um, because, so for the longest time, we didn't know where either was going to be. But then going into the election, we were saying, oh, look, it's, pro- you know, it's likely we're not going to know the result tonight. Likely it's not gonna, we're not going to know the result tonight. But everyone sort of forgot that on the night itself, right? Because of all the, you know, 100 million early votes, the whole process was going to take longer. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't kind of forgotten it. So I went, I drove up from D.C. to Delaware, which is a couple of hours. And, uh, yeah, and, and we had credentials basically to go outside the at, at the at the Biden camp waiting for him to turn up and we were watching the results come in like everyone else. I think I was what we were watching CNN because I was with the Associated Press, which is kind of like a, they have all the, the press areas set up. And if you, if you get credentialed with the AP, like we do, then you basically pay for little live slots and can go in. And so I'll, I'll do my thing for TVNZ and then I'll immediately step out and a French reporter will step into the slot and take over. Da, 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 and then an Italian will step in and da, 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 you know, um, it's like a little United Nations there. And um, so, yeah, I did a, did a few crosses, and then we were just kind of waiting for the results. Everything was very inconclusive. And then we, um, yeah, Biden came out very late and did a very short speech. Mm. So before he turned out, they let in a few supporters, basically like, mate, I, I would guess 40 or 50 cars worth of supporters in a drive-in event because they didn't want to have anything with, you know, where COVID could be spread. Um, and they all just came, kind of came in. They were all, you know, checked off by the Secret Service as they came in. Biden went up. He was behind bulletproof glass. Um, and, you know, he spoke for about three minutes and said, feel good about where we're at. And that was it. And um, and then, of course, we watched as Trump came out and kind of just started disputing the election's <laughs> legitimacy quite early on. Even though he had quite a big lead at that point, he still started doing it. Well, it, yeah, yeah. I, the funny thing was, you know, going into the election, everyone was saying, oh, you know, this election's going to be different. All of the election officials were saying it's going to take us time to count these votes. And, and you know, I'd spoken to, to Republicans who were like, oh, we think that early votes and mail-in votes will favour Biden yeah. three to one, you know. And 
everyone just kind of forgot that. Or, or a lot of people seem to forget that on the night. And the problem is that the cable networks, especially, are, you know, desperate for storylines, desperate for analysis. Da, 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 da. But the, you didn't get you didn't get a clear picture in the way that you might in a more conventional election where everyone was voting on election day itself. And so, um, yeah, yeah. But um, and then so the next morning, I, I hightailed it back to DC um, and spent the rest of my time there because there wasn't much happening in Delaware. Yeah. It's um it's sort of interesting how it's such a juxtaposition as to what happened in New Zealand on election night. Kind of felt like about about eight thirty in the evening it was all sort of done. It was all sort of done. I mean the final I feel thing. Like it was done, the New Zealand election was done at about quarter past seven. Yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. the first the first the first results came in one percent of the vote counted. I remember thinking with the one percent of the vote, you know, like the they were like, oh, you know, there's only one percent. You don't want to read too much into it. And I was like, oh, one percent's like a sample size. 50 times higher than any of the polls that we go off. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's probably going to be reasonably accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So very different. Hey, um, I want to talk to you a little bit, and I know you've got to go get a, a swab stuck up your nose at thirty at, at twenty five two. So we've got about twelve or thirteen minutes before we got to let you go. Um, the Chris Liddell conversation. I'm fascinated to get your thoughts on this, and I'm hoping maybe some people might be interested in getting some thoughts on how this whole thing works as well. Because uh, let me do what we always do and bring up a little bit of. Uh, this is a tweet that you sent out. I'm I'm I don't know whether this was on the day of the interview or beforehand, but you put out a tweet to kind of give people a heads up about the interview. And for those who are listening, the tweet says, in the interest of transparency, Crystal Liddell and I agreed on the subjects. Given his ongoing role as transition manager and Trump's fraud claims, Chris would make no comment whatsoever about anything that could impact the transition. The interview was 50 minutes and we will broadcast it all. So that was kind of cool because as I was watching it, I was kind of going, gosh, why wasn't Jack pushing back a little bit more about the odd thing here and there? But there was obviously like a, um, a, a what do you call it, a, a rules of engagement set up beforehand. But, yeah, but yeah, was that, yeah, that that must yeah. have been a pretty cool experience to be sitting in the was it the Roosevelt room and having a chat just in yeah. that White House space? Yeah, I mean to be in the to be in the West Wing in that space was amazing. And you know, I was in the I was in the Oval Office the day after the election with Chris and talking through some stuff. And um, I mean, yeah, to be the thing about the West Wing is it's far, like it's tiny. It's it's it's, it's it, you know, and and people think it's massive. And it's just tiny. And, you know, like people with the biggest names have the smallest offices because everything in D.C. comes down to proximity. So, for example, uh, like Jared Kushner has a terrible office, but it's right next to the president. Right. So that's all the matter. Yeah, yeah. And like a terrible office. Like, like, Lo- location, location, like, location. Like, like, yeah, like a comically bad sort of yeah, little shoebox office. But what matters is proximity. Anyway, um, look, I mean, the, sim- the simplest way to explain things is that so I've known Chris for a long time. And I've been trying to get an interview, you know, get an interview with him in his time in the White House. I visited him last year in the West Wing. Um, and then I, I met with him a couple of times in D.C. before doing the interview this time around. And it's it's normal that going into an interview, especially with politicians and things, you, you I mean, with anyone, really, you kind of talk about the subjects that you want to discuss. And I think that's fair enough. But I was also, like, acutely aware with, the interview with Chris Liddell, as transition manager, there was like, there was a, a you know, like he, he, he was in this position where he's trying to balance up the president and, and Donald Trump's, you know, kind of state with, you know, having to transition to either a second Trump presidency or to the Biden presidency. And, it, and like, 
it's objectively an incredibly tenuous position, right? This is just this astonishingly contentious moment in political history, and Chris is one of the key figures in the middle, which is to say that if I put vast pressure on him to express opinions or, or give details about the transition, those comments could be construed by either side, depending on what he would say, to negatively impact the transition, right. to like compromise it in a, in a massive way. And he was like, look, if there is any, you know, ba basically, if we if we are going to go into this, I just can't do the interview. I just cannot do the interview if we if we go into this in a really big way. I can't do anything that will compromise that. And and you know, I respect that. I I, I respected that you know explanation and the circumstances. If if it had been a blowout win to Trump or a blowout loss to Trump or whatever, and and the result hadn't been contentious, then it might have been a different story. Um, and and you know, indeed, we'd kind of you know, d d talked about different ways of doing things and different things we might be able to show in the White House and all of that sort of stuff. But just given that moment in time and given his role, he was like, look, it's basically like this or or nothing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can, re and you know, like, whereas, whereas, you know, I can, I can absolutely empathize with people who want to see me go, 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 and go with him and all of those sorts of things. I actually thought a couple of things. First of all, I thought, you know, it, it is reasonable that this person in this, position you know doesn't want to do anything to compromise the transition regardless of what um who he, you know what what administration took over but also um you, like new zealanders haven't heard from this guy when he was in when he was in the office and i did think it was a really good opportunity to actually just let him speak and not make the focus of the interview be me and not 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 push him as i would perhaps a cabinet minister or someone who was elected to the position by New Zealanders or anything like that, but actually to let the guy speak. And, um, yeah, and you know, people will interpret that however they want to interpret it. But I feel really comfortable about the way I handled the interview in that moment, in that very kind of unique little window that we are in right now. And, um, and, and I, I still think, you know, I still think we learned a lot from the interview. Um, yeah. I think, I think we learned heaps from the interview and actually, you know, letting Chris speak and giving him the space to speak, I think w was a, uh, was a good decision. Um, what was the date of the interview? You, it was broadcast on about the 15th. I was interested in that because, uh, Joe Biden yeah. was sort of, uh, started to be called, um, you know, the next president. Uh, what's the word? Word just jumped out of my head. The uh, president elect. President elect. Sorry. That's the right one. From about the yeah. 7th of, uh, yeah, November. So, so, that's even more interesting. So it was on. It was on the. We recorded on New Zealand time the tenth, but it was the the ninth in DC. So that was when he'd already started being called president elect, and still yeah. there was no conversations around transition. I was also wondering, um, like I, I, I did. To be fair, I did actually ask him about the transition. Yeah, yeah. You pushed back I, once on that, didn't you? Yeah, I said, like, how do you see this playing out? Da, 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 da. And he said, oh, well, look, you know, I'm optimistic. You know, the sun comes out every day. We'll see how things go. And I said, <laughs> how will this end? And I said, how do you think it'll end, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Said, I got that. I just cannot go there. I cannot go there. Yeah, so he, that was, I wonder if he was like, hey, and his head was like, no, no, Jack, we've talked about this. I'm not talking about this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder, do you think, did you get the vibe that he believes, you know, we all sometimes, especially if you're a, 
uh, you know, like anything from a PA to someone through to a diplomat for a country, there's sometimes you play the game, there's sometimes there's things that you believe. Like I was interested in some of the things he was saying if he actually believed. And one of the ones was, um, you know, he was talking about Trump being fearless. And uh, maybe it's me, maybe it's my bias, maybe it's me looking from the outside in, but I don't think Trump's fearless. I think Trump's a bit of a coward who tends to run away from conflict when it's out there. Do you think that um, that Chris was someone who was believing what he was saying, or was there some diplomating going on there and he was using the words, let's say, you know, they often talk about that this was a broadcast for an audience of one. You know, in case Trump saw what he had said, he was also saying the right things. Yeah, I mean, I think he was, I'm sure he was conscious of that. I'm sure he was conscious of not wanting to to critique his boss. But I also think that he, I think Chris looks at it as not being a binary thing. And, and like, I agree with Chris in so much, as I think in New Zealand, we have sometimes a very two-dimensional impression of Trump. In that we go... Trump, oh, you know, he's offensive and he says racist things and he and he does and he says things and all of these things. Ever, um, and we just go, oh well, if you support him, then you must be uh, racist, hillbilly from backwater, blah 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 blah. And I think that that Chris is right in that Trump's appeal is far far more complex than that kind of two dimensional image that we have of him in New Zealand. I agree. Um, you know, kind of, kind of allows. For. Yep. And I think that's Chris's big thing. Like Chris would say, I'm sure that he's like, look at my politics. You know, like he's a, his passions are like inequality and climate change. <laughs> I mean, you know, he 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 was one of the you know founders of the Next Foundation, which is backing the predator free New Zealand 2050. Like that's his that's his driving passion. Yeah. So how do you how do you how do you reckon with working for a um for an administration that has kind of undermined, you know, like who's pushing coal. Yeah. And coal and those things. Well, I mean, that's for, that's for Chris to answer and for Chris to kind of reconcile. Um, and you know, only he will know whether or not he can, he can reconcile that. But I think he would, he would argue that, you know, that the administration has done a lot of good. And whereas he doesn't agree with a lot of what the president or some of what the president does, um, and, and his behaviour sometimes, uh, he had this really interesting line. Again, I think just giving him space to speak was, was, was good in this yeah. respect. But he said, you know, he said, every day, everyone who works for this administration gets up and does an analysis. Is, is Am I still sufficiently aligned with the goals of the White House and the goals of Donald Trump and his agenda to put up with the things that I disagree with? Yeah. And, and and if I'm not, then I leave. But if I am, then I go to work. And Chris is like, so there it is. I do that analysis. I'm comfortable with it. I go to work. Um, two more quick questions for you. We've got about three three minutes left. Um, the first, I think you've already answered, so I won't ask, ask it to you, actually. It was just going to be, how did you decide to have it as a long-form interview? I mean, so much in media these days, especially on TV, you know, you hear about snackable, bite-sized morsels, mm-hmm. easy. But what you've already said is, we haven't heard from him, so it was good to give him the time. I'm assuming that's basically the same answer for the decision about a long form. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I, I would have happily, happily given him three hours. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I, I get it's not for everyone. I get that not everyone has the appetite for an interview like that. But in the same way that you and I are speaking now, there is actually 
I think creating space, and especially on a show like Q and A, you know, ours is we're, we're publicly funded, um, and you know, we kind of we kind of strive to make stuff slightly more thoughtful, you know, than than snackable media necessarily. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I thought, yeah, for, for me it was a, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer. I should say, uh, most you know, New Zealand politicians would ref- would refuse to do an hour-long interview. I know. Like, and, and I, 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 look, I could be wrong, but I would be stunned. I would be stunned if the prime minister, for example, agreed to an hour-long interview. Yeah, no, I can. I, I, I can. Like I can. I would, I would love. I would love to do more of them, but it, it doesn't work like that. I can attest. I can attest to that, and specifically the prime minister's yeah. office. Uh, last question for you, then, bro, because I know you got to go get a, a swab up your nose. Um, it's two weeks later since that interview. Right, it's exactly two weeks later. It's the twenty fourth today, month till Christmas Eve. Freaky. Um, there appears to be, or at least there's some commentary that say there's an obvious coup attempt happening in America at the moment. How would you approach the Chris Liddell interview differently today, uh, with two more weeks of what's been going on with the transition, non-transition, than you did then? I, I don't think I would. I, I, I don't. I don't think I would. I mean. It's it, it was it was pretty clear, right? Like it was it was you agree to to not going into the, his role in the transition, his thoughts on the transition and stuff, or there's no interview, you right. know. And and I still think that and, and this is why I laid it out, you know. I this is why I laid it out for the audience. I want to be transparent with my audience, you know, so they know exactly, so they're not just sitting there going, "Well, why aren't you asking about the transition?" But it's I still think. Although obviously we all would like to know all about the transition, I still think there is so much to learn from someone like that in an interview space that it's a better option to agree to those to those parameters and make it clear to the audience that those are the parameters you've agreed to than to have nothing at all. Yeah. No. Look, I, I mean, look, there'll, I be think people, there'll be people who disagree with that, but it's like you know, okay, what would you do if you were in if you were in my position? You know, yeah. um, and, and and I still, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I went there. I've watched the interview about five times. I, you know, I, I think, I think it's fascinating. Well, and I've had, you know, I've had a whole a whole range of feedback from people who say, "Oh, you should never have put Chris Liddell on TV." Blah blah blah. Um, to you know, a lot of people message me and just say, "Shit, it was fascinating to hear from that guy." Um, you know, in this moment of all moments so yeah I, I i don't think i would necessarily approach it any differently well and the other thing is you are now proving yourself trustworthy to chris that you'll stick by what you say and then when you get a chance to interview him next time you can go now reflecting back on that transition dude what the f you know you could yeah you can you can address it at another day hey look i know you've got to I mean, you've got to go yeah these aren't the, I, was, I mean these aren't the sort of things that i would like usually you know, you're not usually in the, especially with elected officials. I, I always find a bit of a distinction with elected officials, but these aren't the sort of like parameters that I usually like lay out with, you know, and agree to with people in interviews. But this is like an, like, this is a very, like, a, a, this is a unique moment, right? Totally. And, you know, it's not like we're, I mean, hopefully for the sake of the world, going to find ourselves in many of these occasions where, um, you know, where elections are so contentious and where there is a New Zealander at the heart of things. So, you know, if if by sticking to these parameters this time mean that we, um, you know, have better access to full details in the future, then, you know, then that would, that would be great. But I also think, like, it's, you know, 
it's 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 that or nothing, and and people are unreasonable if they don't see that. Yeah, and because you know, I laid it, out the parameters, it's not even there's not even the full disclosure in the future. It's would you like eighty percent access now or none at all? So like we'll take the eighty. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a that's a very succinct way of putting it. Um, are you going to pass your COVID test today? And if you do, when you're out of isolation? Uh, I believe so, and. That means I'll be out in less than 48 hours. Woohoo! Back on a bus so, to Auckland? Yeah, bus back to Auckland, and then, yeah, I'll go and go straight to the office. Hey, Jack, thanks for uh, joining us. Good luck with your test today. I'm sure we'll see a headline news item if you don't pass it, but I'm sure you look and sound and feel great, and I'm sure it'll be not a problem. So thanks again for yeah. joining us super quick. It was a fascinating, fascinating little chat into what happened with you in America, and, um, yeah, I'm jealous you got to go over there. Um I'm just. I'm sure you are like when you're in the uh, in the West Wing. I wonder if Trump will just stick his head around the corner just to say hello. But oh well, maybe <laughs> maybe next time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks so much. Always All right, dude. All the best. Be safe. Bye. All right, team, that's us done and dusted. Thanks again for joining us. If you are listening to us through iTunes, uh, would you consider a rate and a review? We'd really appreciate that. Hey, uh, lots of good podcasts coming up between now and Christmas. Uh, This week, if you're listening to this in sequence, uh, Tracy Hemingway is coming up next. Uh, She is the debt-free diva, uh, a young woman who has some really interesting and positive ideas around how to stay away from debt. Uh, Broadcaster and commentator Emma Espiner is coming up as well. And also, not too far away, we're going to have happy mum, happy child blogger Maria Foy and a whole bunch of others as well here on the podcast between now and Christmas time. Thank you for joining us again. I will ask that if you uh, do want to help us, if you do want to support this little initiative we're about to kick off, I don't want to tell you too much about it until we're actually active, because, you know, someone might try and steal it, then what you could do right now is head to our Facebook page, DOCNZ on Facebook, and just like the page, because as soon as we launch it, it'll be there, and then you'll know about it straight away. DOCNZ, or if you're one of our American friends, that's DOCNZ on Facebook. Uh, That's also a really good way to communicate with us, to connect with us. If you're a Facebook user, it's a good way to share videos and that sort of thing, because all of these podcasts that you're hearing also have a video component to them as well, which you can uh, can check out on YouTube, on Twitch, uh, on Periscope, or on that Facebook page as well. Hey team, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Jack. I'm, as I said at the start, particularly jealous of Jack's life. Uh, especially that he gets to travel the world and talk politics, which sounds like a dream to me. (laughs) But stay safe wherever you are, especially if you're outside of New Zealand. Wash your hands, hug a loved one, watch something on the telly that makes you laugh. And until we see you next time, my friend, hooroo to you. 